Welcome to the Clash Act podcast. But first, we're going to take a word from our sponsors, Morrissey Motors. Hello, Martin here from Morrissey Motors, Peugeot Kilkenny. We have the full range of environmentally friendly, award-winning vehicles in petrol, diesel, hybrid and electric. Our 208, 3008 and 508 have all won Car of the Year. Our 5008 seven-seater has won SUV of the Year. And not forgetting Ireland's best-selling commercial, the award-winning Partner Van. That's five in a row, Martin. It is, Brian. That's impressive. Contact the lads in Morrissey Motors, Waterford Road, Kilkenny, today. And you're very welcome to this week's edition of the Clash Act podcast with myself, Eddie Scally. And I'm delighted to be joined on the line on Zoom with GEA referee, football referee, David Goff. David, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Eddie. David, um, I'm kind of famed around this area for uh, absolutely ridiculing referees and uh, killing them uh, pretty much all the time. So I'm sure lots of people that listen to my podcast will be stunned that I'm having a chat with a referee or that a referee will be willing to talk to me. Uh, What's well, it like? I don't know if that says more about you or whether it says more about the standard of refereeing down that area, but I, I'll <laughs> leave you answer that one. Uh, I, I, I'd, be, I'd be friendly enough with James Owens there in, uh, from Wexford. I would have played soccer with James a good few years back, but unfortunately he sent Richie off in a, an All-Ireland final, so that's that's the end of that now for a while. So, but I've, I'm sure I'll get him on <laughs> it someday. Nah, yeah, but he's a great guy, you know, but it, it, it's all in yeah. jest. But, David, if you don't mind, where I'm going to just start with, like you, you played football yourself at home in Mead. Um, the refereeing, how did that come about or what got you into it? It was a pure accident. I was sitting in the canteen of St. Patrick's College in Drumcondra um, back around 2005 and the games development officer there, a man called Tom Fitzpatrick, whose job I now have, I'm now working in that role in, in, in St. Pat's, um, arrived into the canteen, threw me a whistle, said that no referee arrived to do the coming a month school game that was out on the pitch at the back. And would I go out and make myself 40 euro? And I thought, Jesus, this is great. Um, 40 euro for um, an hour's run around with kids. Um, so I went out and did it, really enjoyed it. And what I didn't know at the time was that Tom was one of the top referee tutors in the country. And he was tutoring the likes of Pat McAnini, Brian Gavin, um, Brian Crow, John Bannon inside in Crow Park and he came to me afterwards he says David if I get you more games will you continue to do this and I said more games he says yeah uh, there's three matches coming in one school during the week so 120 euro over three days I was delighted and uh, when I went back to Mead I did my course in 2007 and started in 2008 so purely by accident and it's like when you think about it you, you started refereeing in 2007 and you know within eight to ten years you're refereeing some of the biggest games in, in the country like it's you've you've went through the ranks of refereeing at a rapid pace is that the norm no it's not the norm i, I had a, a very rapid rise i mean i started my first match in in in, in me in, in 2008 by 2011 i did an intermediate final done you see um i was put on the leinster panel at that stage i did a leinster senior club final the second time i refereed leinster senior club football in uh, 2012, which put me on the national panel. And then I've been refereeing championships since 2013. I mean, I was only five years refereeing and I was refereeing senior inter-county championship matches. And I've been part of the elite panel ever since. And it just continued. Uh, an under 21 final in 2013, a minor final in 2015, All-Ireland semi-finals 2016-17, a club All-Ireland final in 2018, and then the, the big game, the drawn All-Ireland final, the five in a row for, for Dublin and Kerry in 2019. And and just, just on them games, like I'm sure like as a player, when you're playing, obviously the big day out in Crow Park and all that, the nerves kick in and, you know, it, 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 it you know it's a nerve-wracking affair but for for you as a referee 
you know, with the All Ireland final build up or a big semi final build up, you're picking up all the papers all week. The press is all focused on this massive game, and you're rocking out into the middle of Crow Park. There's 15 lads on one side of the field have each other's back. There's 15 lads on the other side of the field have each other's back, plus all the backroom teams and everything else. And you're in the middle of the field with two linesmen either side and some of your your, your kind of close friends and, and, and family that you trust as your umpires. Like, do you, do you be very nervous going into these games or do you just treat it as another game or how does it go? You couldn't treat it as another game. I'm sure that's not no, the case. No, I, I think it'd be very unfair to say I treated it as another game. Certainly not 2019 was not simply just another game. It was my first All-Ireland final um, unfortunately, there was huge media scrutiny put on me um, in the two weeks run up to the game. And um, But we had access to sports psychologists and sports counsellors in, in the run up to that. I was probably more nervous in 2018 doing line for Connor Lane in the All-Ireland final. It was my first involvement in an All-Ireland. Um, but nerves to me are a good thing. It shows that, you know, this game matters. You know, it matters that I put in a good performance and, and that I do my best on, on the day and give both teams an equal opportunity to, to win. So um, nerves never really bother me too much. What I like to do is I like to have everything organised the week before the match. I have spoken to my team of officials. I have spoken to my umpires, all four of whom are, are family members, um, and they certainly have my back. Um, I would have, have, have spoken to any officials inside in Crow Park that I need to speak to. Everything will be organised. My bag is packed. You know, th- These are things that players don't have to worry about because they don't have to worry about having their jerseys ready or their kit. That's all handed to them. They, they just arrive with their boots. You know, even to a certain extent, their nutrition, their hydration is all there for them on the day. I need to look after all that myself, my post-match uh, protein. Uh, I have everything to the nth degree uh, organised so I can get a good night's sleep the night before a big game. And just, you touched on it yourself. It was something I was going to ask you about later on. In the 2019 game, I remember in the build-up to it, I'd seen you'd been appointed for the All-Ireland Final Personally, I, I had no issue with, with the appointment of you. I thought it was, you know, you, you've had a very good year refereeing and you've had a, a very good few years refereeing it. Um, I don't know if it was taken out of context. I think Gaiman Fitzmaurice had questioned um, the logic in appointing a referee to referee an All-Ireland Final that lives and works in Dublin to referee an All-Ireland Final with Dublin versus Kerry. My head would have thought the logic of appointing a Meath man to referee a Dublin team in an All-Ireland Final. I don't know. But it was probably unnecessary... The scrutiny that that brought on you and then to double end this question to you does that put the pressure that's added to you are they saying that they're, they're fear there might be a bias towards Dublin so then in turn are you going to compensate for that by being harder on Dublin or, or how do you do like it must have been a real mess in your head at um, the time it, it's not really I think that's what people perceive it so first of all we take Eamon's comment it was taken out of context in that it was just played as a soundbite he was asked a genuine question he gave a genuine answer and I can understand based on his experiences with me refereeing, <clears throat> he lost two All-Ireland semi-finals, um, one against Dublin in 2016 and a replay against Mayo in 2017 where I was refereeing. Now I wasn't at fault for those, but I mean, as managers tend to do, they point the finger directly at the referee to take scrutiny off themselves. So that's the first thing. Eamon was asked a genuine question. He gave his answer. That's fair enough. Um, we only have to look at 2015 when Dublin played Kerry in an All-Ireland final. David Kodrick was the referee, also a Mead man, living and working in Dublin. So the GA has no issue with this. Uh, you have to look at the, the replay, Dublin-Kerry 2019. <coughs> a Hawkman was given the final. And, uh, you know, that's right beside Kerry. And they had no issue with that. So um, for us as referees, we're emotionally uninvolved. And, and if anyone thinks I'm going to go out in an All-Ireland final and, 
you know, be biased in front of 80,000 people in a stand and, and, and possibly 1 million people watching worldwide. It, it just doesn't add up. It, it's not possible. Um, I want to do the best job for me, for my career and my performance. And I'm only going to continue to last at that level as long as I put in those consistent performances. So for me, it, it really didn't matter. The media scrutiny, yes, there was an awful lot of it because with the nature of the Kerry camp and the Dublin camp being quite quiet, the easiest thing was to talk about the referee and the referee appointment. So I just took all the social media off my phone. Twitter went, um, Instagram went, um, anything that I could take off that would, you know, news apps, everything just went. And I had two weeks of, of solitude and it was completely peaceful and, and a lovely build up to an All-Ireland final. <laughs> And just just when you say about taking the social media side of it, I think your answer is, it, it kind of clears up that side of it for me. But when you say, you, you know, you delete the social media side of it and all that, and it gets you away from that for two weeks. Have you a tendency after a game then when you're sitting down and you say, Jesus, looking back on that one there, I might have got that call wrong. And then you go on Twitter and Jono from Cork is saying, you know, David Goff screws us over again, or this. Like, does it does it does it annoy you, or does it annoy your family? Like, do you know, does it does it does it hurt sometimes, no, or not at all? And I, I tell you why. Um, first of all, I'm coming from the informed position when I when I make the decisions. I'm never worried about the decisions I make on the field because, in my mind, I've made them correctly. It's the ones I don't make. So, the like of that incident in 2016 where I missed the shoulder from Kevin McMenamin. That was a decision I didn't make because I didn't see it. They're the ones that I tend to get wrong. The stuff I see, I know whether they're fouls or not. So then when you have somebody coming on to you on Twitter, or, and, and let's be honest, there's a lot of the people in the country that are quite happy to sit down and handwrite letters and put them in the post box as well on Monday morning. It doesn't just have to be Twitter. But I, I laugh because the only opinions that matter to me are from people who are either informed in the same way I am as the rules or my friends and my family. Because outside of that, nobody else's opinion matters to me. It doesn't bother me. So they're entitled to have their opinion. They're entitled to share it, but it's not going to affect me. And I've learned that. Um, I've learned that quite well. Uh, and I tend to sit down and, and, and laugh over it with, with, with the umpires, which we find a much easier way of dealing with it. And I, I know by the way you're saying it, it's something that you educated yourself to do over time. I'm sure yeah. in the beginning, there was a time where you were probably going home and second guessing yourself, maybe saying to your dad, Jesus, did I do that wrong? Or, you know, it's something that you've learned. Absolutely. Following 2016 um, and that, that missed shoulder, I mean, the, the amount of media attention even that that garnered, um, what was written in the papers afterwards, what was said on, on, on the likes of Facebook and Twitter to me, sent in personal messages. And I was reading them and I was taking them all on board because I was a young fellow. I, I, I engage with social media. I think it's a fantastic uh, platform um, if used properly. But it, it did have an effect on me. And I was saying, Jesus, I, I can't continue to do that. And I learned. And I went and I spoke to people. And I learned how to deal with it. And I now happily can say I can engage with social media when I need to. But I don't take the other stuff on board. And just because just we're, we're on this, it was something I was going to talk to you a little bit later in the interview. But we'll go to it now because it's 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 so relevant to what we're speaking about at the moment. Is is the Sunday game. The, the, the Sunday game on a, on a Sunday night. Right. First and foremost, your referee whether it's a Leinster final or an All-Ireland semi-final or an All-Ireland final, you go home, you kick the, the shoes off and do you switch on the Sunday game? Is it something that you'd, you'd actually watch back? Uh, not always, no, because I don't have a huge interest in watching a lot of, of, of the Sunday game uh, for a number of reasons. Um, one, I usually record the match or watch it back on playback with the sound muted. So uh, I very rarely listen to the commentary. Um, 
Second of all, I find with the Sunday game, um, I find the post-match analysis a bit infuriating because they will have have, have on their very well-known, educated uh, footballers talking about uh, um, football, which is fine, but then they go to talk about refereeing, which they don't have expertise in like I have, and they say ridiculous things about either the standard of refereeing, um, the way the rule has been implemented, or, or what the referee is doing. And I'm sitting there thinking, there is no way I would go on that show and comment on a corner forward or a corner back, their style of play, what they're doing, the balls they've kicked wide, or the mistakes they've made, because that's not my area of expertise. So why then do they feel comfortable to go on national television on a Sunday night and be asked an opinion about refereeing and feel free to give it and set an agenda without coming from an informed background? That's that's my issue with it. So I, I generally don't watch it. it, it see, we're on the same wavelength here, but kind of from two, two different sides, if you get me. Uh, I, I find it quite infuriating from this side, and I, and I, and I, and I want your genuine opinion. And if you can see where I'm coming from on this, I've watched the Sunday game analyse certain players over the last number of years and analyse certain styles. Um, you may or may not remember that there was this thing in Kilkenny there for a long time. They were saying that Kilkenny played on the edge all the time, and there was this. It, it almost kind of insinuated that Kilkenny were in some way a dirty team that they were, you know, they were playing the rules right to the brink, and then they'd show twenty incidents in a game where maybe Tommy Welch is out in front of his man and might be you know but he's not fouling or whatever and they're saying oh this you know the referees need to be punishing this and the referees need to be pulling up on this and then we go out the following week and the ball's driven in Tommy Welch is out in front referee blows the whistle and gives a free against them and I'm sitting looking and I'm thinking was he watching the Sunday game or you know and it, because you know this seems like the whole this, they create this hysteria in order to nearly get the referee to make the decision that they want the referees to make, and it, uh, personally, I think it's 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 a complete nightmare. Um, is it something that referees could be influenced by? Um, I, I'm not going to give a yes or no answer to that because that would be too simple. Uh, yeah. Certainly, there is a possibility that referees, depending on their personalities, could be influenced. If you're someone like myself or a, a David Coldrick or maybe a Connor Lane who have strong personalities. Well, then you're not going to be influenced uh, by by many people. Certainly not the Sunday game of all places to be influenced by. Um, so, and I do understand because I mean we had the whole issue with Tyrone. Were they playing on the edge? Were Dublin playing on the edge? Playing on the edge, like what exactly does that mean? You're playing inside the rules, and once you're playing inside the rules, I won't have a problem with it. When you play outside the rules, well, then that's when I need to step in and 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 uh, implement them to make sure that the game is played fairly. And I do remember that time around the hysteria around Kilkenny. But, you know, I don't know what, where that came from. Were Kilkenny winning too many titles at the time or were people tired of seeing them? You know, and, and the agenda is set then by, by studio in RT. But certainly the, the referees wouldn't take any heed of that. I mean, we couldn't. Yeah, no, no, 100%, David, and I, and I, and I accept it. But to take it to the next side, about seven or eight years ago, Sky Sports were being... They were, they, they, I don't know who started it, but it was very clever what they'd done. Sky Sports were ridiculing referees regularly. You'd see Graham Soonis and he'd be huffing and puffing about a referee in performance. And, and it can be very hard. The guy's just refereed a match in front of 50,000 people. He goes home and next thing, Roy Keane, Graham Soonis and, and half the studio are saying, this referee's ruined the game and he's a disgrace. And, you know, and it was horrible stuff. But Sky set up this system now where they bring in the referee's assessors. So a retired David Goff becomes a panellist 
on the Sunday game. So what happens then is after we watch the Kilkenny Dublin game, the, the panel talks about it, maybe looks at a couple of contentious decisions, and they go back to the referee, who we know who's refereed all Ireland finals, who's done it, and they say to him, David, can you see why Eddie made that call there? And he explains to the panel who have let's call a spade a spade half of them have their own vested interests in what they're saying anyway and they need a little bit of controversy but then the referee comes in and says well David's decision in this scenario is made because this is the rule and it was breached or if there was a mistake made he can show how it was made do you not think it would be a step forward for the Sunday game to maybe implement a little section of that just to show the referee in of course it's, it's nonsensical and it brings me back to my point why, why do people feel that they can comment on referees performances without that expertise or ever having lifted up a whistle before they're there the panelists on the sunday game to talk about you know what they can bring to 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 the, the panel discussion as players we've seen barry kelly on on the sunday game on a number of occasions and he's absolutely fantastic and it's not that he has an agenda going in to support the referees we make mistakes i mean we're human we don't make as many mistakes as the players do on the pitch we make very few in comparison um we could make anywhere between three and five hundred decisions in a game and probably most of us are getting between 96 and 97% of those right. It's getting the key game decisions right that, that we need the most. The penalties, the red cards, the black cards. Uh, you don't have black cards in Hurland, I know, yeah. but the Sinbin ones. Uh, but uh, I think you're 100% right. There is a need for that um, to be uh, done on a Sunday, a Sunday game. And it only needs to be, Barry, can you explain what the rule actually says, how it was implemented in this in this analysis or in, in in this particular example and tell us was it right or wrong and if it was wrong why do you think the referee got it wrong because there's a number of reasons the referee could get a decision wrong but see like we're on the same page here and this would improve I think people's perception of what they've seen it would also get them a better understanding of the rules like Sky has improved for doing this it genuinely has I love watching it Sunday morning when I can't think it's not David Ellery but it's one of them he stands out and in fairness to him if a referee gets a call wrong he says look this is what he's seen and Dave even got the camera to show you your vision so he says this is what he's seen and when you see it from this angle of course it looks like a a terrible foul and then to flip the camera around and say when you see it from this angle it's not a foul and it just it just I, I just think it'd take a lot of pressure off referees if they were given a fair balanced um, chance after a game when a couple of decisions went against them to be actually reviewed and people say well look it actually wasn't as bad as we thought and, and you're 100% right with what you're saying there about the camera angles um, and we see it in the rugby like those guides need 360 degree camera angles to get decisions right in relation to tries or forward passes and, and the referee doesn't always have the best view and we are constantly inside in stadiums trying to get into the best position to make the correct call that's that's our, our mantra get into the correct best position to make the correct call it's not always possible it's not always possible and uh, sitting in a studio and looking back and having a 360 degree analysis of it and being able to slow it down and look yes of course they're going to find mistakes but if they see it from our our viewpoint or if they are able to see it from where we're looking they might understand as to why well that's why David Goff made that mistake no different in 2016 when the camera was slowed down um uh, Michael Fitzsimons was directly in front of my face and I couldn't see the impact that happened. That's a simple explanation that could have saved so much hassle in the weeks afterwards but it, it obviously it didn't come because that, that facility wasn't there. Yeah and it's I, I think it's, it's, it is something that we should we should all strive to have because 
I, I know myself that these decisions, when they happen, it's it's the weeks after that decision. It goes for about a week or two weeks that people are talking. Even, I, I, I kind of said it in jest about James with the, the red card decision in Kilkenny tip game with Richie Hogan. You know, in Kilkenny, I'm not biased, but in Kilkenny, everyone would say it's not a red card. In Tipperary, everybody says it is a red card. You know, and, and I haven't seen, which would have been very simple, is slow it down, show them James's viewpoint of it, speed it up to the right speed of the game, and then make your decision. And it's very simple. If you do it that way, it ends up probably being a right card. But there's, um, no, there's no probably about it. James got the decision right, and he was 100% right on the day. Uh, and I, I learned from that because I remember um, in the weeks afterwards getting his microphone and, and listening to the way James dealt with the situation and the information he got and how he made his decision. He's 100% right. Um, but the other thing we have to remember is we have all these analysts. And I'm going to ask you a question here. You're, you're doing this podcast and you're talking about referees and rules. When was the last time you read the rule book of the GAA? If oh, ever. No, it's, uh, without question, I have never sat down and read the rule book of the GAA. Exactly. So we're talking here about people who get their knowledge of the rules from teachers, coaches, parents, other players, experienced playing the game managers. The referees, this is the stupid part of it, are the only ones getting their knowledge of the rules from the rule book, are tested in it twice a year, have 50 questions, multiple choice, 30 minutes to do that, and uh, we, we, we don't have um, uh, an opportunity to get them wrong. And then we're dealt with a huge amount of people who... Um, who don't read the rules. No, I, I, I can't argue it. I know I stand on the sideline managing a team. I, I'll i be doing it tonight. If a match tonight, the referee's decision will be questioned probably 15 times by me. Tonight, that's about my average. The Most referees know me and don't pay any heed to me. They just know it's my style. But I, I do take your point. But it's just when you're on about the rule book of the referee and the rule book of the GEA. And I, I don't know, but I have to ask this question, right? They're constantly tweaking the rules in the GEA, right? It's just... I don't know. I, 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 we looked up some of the new rule changes that were made in Hurling a couple of months ago and, and I had two, two of the greatest hurlers of all time sitting in in this interview with me and I said, what was the point of that rule or what was the point of this? And they, they couldn't understand. So where I want to go with is, first of all, like in the time you've been refereeing, there's probably been 25 tweaks to the rules in that time, maybe more, I don't know. In, in your time as a referee, how many rule changes would you say have come in? I wouldn't say you're too far wrong off 20. And... Of the rule changes that come in, can you say to me five that you felt have improved the game or you could see that was really important? Well, uh, definitely the black card in football has, yeah. has eradicated the um, challenge, the body collides, the trips, uh, and for the most part, the pull downs. I am a fan of the idea of uh, it not being uh, okay in the GA where we have a situation where it pays to foul. So the idea, like we had with, with Mayo and Galway last year, or the Sean Kavanagh incident with, with, with Monaghan, if a player deliberately commits a cynical foul and stops a goal-scoring opportunity, we have to give the goal-scoring opportunity back or else it will continue because awarding a free in the last couple of minutes of a game is not going to make any difference. The players will take their punishment, but they're not going to lose the game. So we have to get to a scenario in Gaelic games where it does not pay to foul. At the moment, Unfortunately, according to our rule book, it does. We have a stupid scenario at the moment where you can commit a red card infraction, which is more serious than a black, and get sent off, but award no penalty. But for a lesser infraction, you get a black card and a penalty given against you, which is a more serious punishment. And that's a ridiculous situation to have in Gaelic games, and that's what we have at the moment. 
and it needs to be simplified. The rule book needs to be scrapped. The referees with the administrators need to be put in a room. The wording of the rules. We have about 45 aggressive fouls in football. So every time I see a foul, I have to go through these list of fouls in my head. The language is quite difficult. Say what I see, apply it to a rule, and then apply the sanction. And I'm a big advocate, and I have spoken at Congress about this. Simplify it. Four rules. Um, and, you know, persistent fouling. Okay. Then we'll have rough play, yellow card, cynical play, black card, dangerous play, red card. That's as simple as it needs to be for a carding system. That's all it needs to be. Everything else then is technical fouls, what you do with the ball. But for aggressive fouls on the players, yellow card for rough play, black card for cynical play, and red card for dangerous, for dangerous play. Because we know, we know there are only three cynical personal fouls in football listed in the rule book. There's probably at least 20 more cynical fouls that could happen, but we can't award a black card and a cynical foul for it because it does not fit the language of the rules. And The uh, whole thing needs to be changed, simplified, just, make it easier for referees and for pundits and for spectators to understand exactly what's going on. And just, just when you say it about, you know, scrapping the rule book and, and you know, and, and rebuilding it and making it a much simpler model to follow, like when the rule changes have been made over your time, do the referees have an input into these rule changes? Like, are you brought in and said, you know, is there something you're finding quite difficult to implement or makes no sense? Or is there a, a kind of a quorum where that happens and then the GEA help, you help the GEA rule referee games? Like, Not really. Um, and I have to be honest, there is a standing committee of, of playing rules, which is a, a politically appointed committee by, by the president. And I don't know how you get to sit on that if it changes every three years. And sometimes there is a need or maybe they feel the need to validate their existence by bringing in rule changes and they look at data uh, and I don't know where they get the well, obviously they get the data from the games, but I don't know how they come up with the outcomes from that data. Uh, Maybe they're trying to make the game more attractive um, to watch. I I don't know. The simple one that I could bring in is is the pass back to the keeper. Um, The rule is, in theory, what they're trying to do is stop play from going backwards and keep it going forwards. But the way it's written is absolutely ridiculous because what the rule states is that to play the ball back to the goalkeeper without another player from the opposition playing the ball, touching the ball. So if a cornerback gets a ball and is fouled and nobody touches the ball and he kicks it back to the goalkeeper, he's in breach of rule. If a goalkeeper takes a kick out, gives it to the cornerback, the goalkeeper moves up the field and the cornerback gives it to him and he's on the 40 meter line, even though the ball has gone forward, he's in breach of rule. So what we have is we have a, a, an administration committee writing rules because they want to improve the game in a certain way, but not coming to the referees and letting us give them these scenarios and say, well, the language of the rules is tying our hands here. And, and that's what happens. Our hands are tied and we can't change the rule then because it takes a number of years for that to go back to um, Congress and get the rule changed. This, like this, is blowing my mind. I, I, I always assumed, and 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 only a couple of weeks ago when I was speaking to the hurlers, we were looking at some of the rules and we were saying, and one of the ones that was pointed out was kind of a red card incident. If a fella's breaking in a goal, both of the players said, "Listen, I, I'd, I'd wrestle him to the ground if there was a minute to go on an All Ireland final and we're winning by two points." Hmm. Twenty five yards out, he said, "I'd do what I have to do." But one of the rules states in this. Now I'm sure you wouldn't be implementing this, but if I get sent off in an All Ireland final and my team goes on to win the game. I'm not allowed on the field to play for celebrations after it. The referee is meant to make sure I stay in the oh, dressing room. 
Hi, here is the best example. A Hogan Cup final between St. Brendan's Killarney and um, a team from Derry. Um, Connor Glass played for them. And I'm not going to remember the name. I sent both captains off that day with straight red cards. The Killarney team captain was not allowed accept the cup on behalf of the team that day. He, he was told by the, the, the stewards and personnel in Crow Park he couldn't collect the cup because he was given the red card. To add insult to that, I was appointed to Kerry versus Cork the next day in uh, Killarney. No, truly, actually. And at half time in the match, they decided to bring the team out that had won the Hogan Cup, march them up to the stands, and represent the cup to the captain in Tralee as I was walking back out onto the field. So you can imagine the reception I got in Tralee. <laughs> but it's... I didn't even know the rule. Now, it wouldn't have changed my decision. And I felt. That is ridiculous that he can't go up there and accept the cup. Well, when, when I seen it, I, I said to the lads, because we were reading through them, and I know I said I'd never read the rule book. I didn't. What I'd done was I got two of my friends to find me the, the most strange of rules, and that was one of them. And I, I said it to, I think it was um, Paul Murphy, uh, the former Kenny Corner back, and Paul started laughing and said to me, you know, I'd be taking my red card, uh, we'd be winning yeah. the All-Ireland. And he said, and I'd be going up and I'd be enjoying the celebrations. But but he, the point that he made to me was, who was sitting at home watching a game or what referee or what pundit was sitting watching it and saying, watching that player that got sent off coming out and celebrating with his teammates who he's worked for the last 12 months to win in Ireland, who, 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 how did that ruin his enjoyment of watching that game on telly or whatever? So we couldn't understand where that rule came about or why it came about you know it's it's to me it's just a silly rule but at the time we thought that the referees will be included in you know like a rule like that David like you'd look at it and say lads this is ridiculous you, you know take that out you know I can see why you'd say don't let the captain lift the cup maybe yeah. but the rule actually states they're not allowed on the field to play to celebrate with the team they have to basically go to the dressing room yeah. and we'll be in when we're finished but so there is no forum where referees come in not particularly. We were given like maybe an online link to, to new rules, look at some clips and, and to comment on them. But I don't know whether much heed is taken on, on, on what we would say. The interesting thing about the rules of the, the GA is they're split in, in two parts. So part one would deal with that type of scenario that you're, you're talking with. We only deal with part two, which are the playing rules, which is actually what happens on, on the field of play. So me sending a, a Paul Mor Murphy off in an All-Ireland final. Well, after that, it's not up to me whether he's, he celebrates on the pitch. That's someone else's job inside in Crow Park to deal with that, not mine. Um, we only deal with, with part two, the playing rules. So I, I I never knew until it happened that that was the scenario. Like, And I felt awful. I felt absolutely awful. And I had done nothing wrong, only my job. No, it's, it is. There's, there's some of the stuff I, I just can't, I, I think is cracked. Hawkeye was brought in um, to the GEA a number of years ago. Um, Tipperary people will tell you it won Kilkenny in All-Ireland actually in its first year uh, Tipperary had a free that it went to Hawkeye wasn't given last minute of an All-Ireland final right. baptism of fire it was brilliant uh, a baptism of fire for Hawkeye uh, Brian Hogan was I think it was a harsh free against Brian I will say that um, to this day I still do think it was a harsh free but he for missed charging it charging with the ball I don't know I remember it well yeah. I, I thought he was I, I don't think he, he, I, I always remember I have to say it to Brian and to his credit he never reacted in the last minute of a game where he's given away a free. He never reacted at all. And if he had reacted, that free would have been brought forward 10 yards and that free would have went over yeah. the bar. But because of his temperament and his just focus, he went back. Hawkeye saved the day. 
game went to yeah. replay Kilkenny won the All-Ireland but the question I'd ask is Hawkeye was a good development for the GEA is it time now as the game is progressing the speed of the game is moving so much faster is it time that maybe we should look at using some technologies to assist referees in games probably more so in hurling than football but is it is it is it not time now that I should be able to radio you in your ear David you need to come and have a look at this and, and you Absolutely. slip over any sort of technology that can help us out in any way at all it's only to our benefit to the benefit of the players and, and, and to, to, to the supporters I have no issue I have an issue with soccer I have no issue with the TMO and rugby. I have no issue with someone sitting inside in the stadium and saying, David, we deem there to be an incident of foul play or something that you need to look at. Just stop what you're at and come and look at this. Put it on in the screen. First of all, there's only screens inside in Crow Park. It's very other... I can't think of any other venues that, that have that facility. So that's the first issue. Um, I don't like what they have in soccer is the, the referee running over to the sideline and looking at the little screen and the camera's focused on him and watching what he's watching. You can't hear the discussion that's going on between him and the video-assisted referee, whereas in rugby you can hear exactly what's going on. You can hear the communication between the referee and the TMO. That's where we need to go. We don't need to go near the soccer side of things because that creates more confusion, less clarity, and you, you, the, the fans get... Um, the fans get angry because they can't hear the communication they don't know what's going on or what's taking so long in rugby you can perfectly hear can we get a different angle there's potentially this happening i'd like to see that again what's your opinion this is what i can see and the game moves because the, the fans are, are are integrated into it and they're listening to what exactly is is being listened or being said by the referees and they can see it on the screen it's a fantastic thing in rugby not so much in soccer. But if, if, if you were to try and bring it, and I, I take your point, you know, if you go to Cusick Park and Mullingar or you go to Park Talton and Mead, you know, we don't have the luxury of big giant screens behind them. But for our All-Ireland semi-finals and our All-Ireland finals, they're all generally played in Croke Park. The facility is there. They're the biggest games of the whole year. Would... I can't see how anyone would have an objection to saying, well, look, like Hawkeye's not available in every stadium in the country, but the ones it's yep. available in, we use it in. So... Like I'm sure Parky Cueve is probably at a point now where there's a big screen down there or very close to it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't see an issue with it. And I mean, it, all it takes is someone in a club to write a motion and send it to Congress. That's all it needs. It's a very simple thing to to to, to put on a, on a motion and, and send to Congress and let people vote on it. I don't think the referees would have an issue with it. Anything that takes the spotlight off me and helps me make a better decision, well, what's the issue? And is is that is that the the big thing for you? Like it's all referees would be in the same vein as you. Anything that can help me to get these things a hundred percent right, give it to me. Of course, that that's my job. My job is to go out there and control the game in accordance with the playing rules. And if there is a better viewpoint of an incident that I'm unsure about, of course I want to know it. Of course I want to see it. I want to do the best job. Those players are out there, and I understand, like myself. We train very hard to get to where we are. Don't forget that we train as well. Um, you know, so we don't want to be out there making mistakes and, and, and costing them an opportunity to be in a, in a provincial final or their place in a championship because we didn't have the best view. If the best view is there and we have it on video, well, why can't we see it? Just just kind of switching off the technology, the video technology side, I, I spoke with Kevin Walsh um, about two months ago, maybe a little bit in the last couple of months I spoke with Kevin and we were just we were we were in a discussion about the Sunday game and, 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 and analysing of things and whatnot. We brought up referees and Kevin had made a point 
I, I didn't agree with his point, um, but the point that he made was that he felt that the the linesmen aren't being used, in his opinion, adequately enough. And he was defending referees, and the point that he was making was, you're the ref for today's game, and you've got your two linesmen there. And he said that he feels in some way that linesmen, you know, they're there to help the referee, but the referee is there to referee. And he felt that if we were to give linesmen whistles, that the referee and his two aided assistants would all have a, you know, they all have an input into what happens. And what I did say to him at the time was, Jez, you'd have whistle blown every two seconds. And what if David's interpretation and John's interpretation are different? Like, is that something that's even considered an, an option or is it something no, that wouldn't work? No, it's not. And, and um, it, it, for a number of reasons. First of all, right, the linesmen have duties and, and powers just like the referee does. And, and quite often they, they do their job in line with what their, their their powers are we're all wired up on on match days and they're there to help uh giving them a whistle is not going to sort it uh, having you know me in the middle of the field as a referee and someone on the line who's not as experienced as me well you're going to have a difference of opinion when it comes to the implementation of rules and like i would say as a referee if you put me one half of the field or in a third of the field you put morris deegan in in another third and you put connor lane in a thir- different third you're not going to get consistency of decision across the three because even though we're all trained the same in the same rules, we're the same as players. We have personalities. And what makes us different is our personalities and our life experiences. And no different than players, that little bit of flair they show or, or, or what makes them better and makes them stand out in the team, even though the team is trained the same with the same tactics, is their personalities their life experiences and their experiences on the pitch. So giving a linesman a whistle would, would be a, a no-go area for me. I assume, and this is completely a strange probably question for you, I assume Crow Park is 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 your favourite place to referee games. I, you know, the, the whole amphitheatre you get there. Is it, is it, is it where you would say you oh, love it? Um, can I be honest and say yep. that Crow Park is fantastic when it's full? Right. I, no. And it only is full on All-Ireland final day and maybe if there's a high-profile semi-final. Okay, so if you're getting a Dublin Kerry in the semi-final, a Kerry Mayo, maybe a Tyrone Dublin. Okay. Um, there, it, outside of that, Crow Park can be an empty vacuum to referee. And I refereed in it last year, Dublin, uh, Mayo, Tipperary in All-Ireland semi-final with nobody in the stadium. Um, and with no fans, there's no atmosphere. I would say outside of Crow Park, Clonus has to be the best venue in the country to referee in. And I know maybe as, as a hurling supporter, you, you, you might never have been there. But by God, on Ulster final days, and I have been at many of them, they're special occasions. It's just a different, it's a different breed, a different class of, of stadium. It is amphitheatrical. You, 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 the whole of, of, of Clonus is above you and you're down, sunk down in the pitch. It's, it's amazing. And it's, it's a, is it a place that you can actually, like as a referee, do you feed off that atmosphere? Like, I mean, you know, when you blow the whistle and you can hear the, oh, this, like, is it yeah. there? Like, does it suck the energy out of it, you? I'll tell you what starts it for me is uh, the St. Michael's Band in Enniskillen, when they go to play the national anthem, there's the rattle of the drum before the first notes are played. And you can just feel it. You can feel the tension starting and you're just hoping that they get through the national anthem and off the bloody pitch before the lads start laying into one another because we have to wait to get them safely off the field. And in Ulster, they don't like waiting. They want the ball up uh, straight away. So um, for me, that's the most, yeah, they're, they're special days when you're involved in Ulster finals. And is there any kind of quirky stadiums down, down 
this end of the woods right, and that you've refereed in and you said you know that it's actually it's actually pretty nice is it is it really down to the attendances in these stadiums as well that you need full houses make big atmospheres oh yeah full houses make big big atmospheres um the one down in waterford actually fraher field is beautiful to referee and i mean you're 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 one step away from jumping into the ocean when you're there um and i've always loved refereeing there being sent down um it's always a very friendly place and well, I've only ever been down there in the sunshine. It, it, it's beautiful. And have you have you have you refereed a game? Obviously, Eddie, I've refereed lots of games. But have you refereed a game that when you look back now and say, "God, I," you know, I, I've talked to players and they say to me, "I'd love to be in that moment again for five minutes." It was just such a buzz. Like, is there a game that you'd look back on now if if it all stopped today and you said, "Jesus, that's that's the one I'd stop at." Is was there any game in particular that was? Oh well, like, it, and everyone's going to expect this. The, the, the twenty nineteen drawn final. I mean, the last ten minutes of that were absolutely electric. The excitement, the drama, um, all that ha- had happened, the, the theatre and everything was just amazing. But outside of that, I'd say the under twenty one All Ireland final between Galway and Cork down in Limerick in twenty thirteen. It was my first All Ireland final. It was a wet evening and I was expecting, you know, a tough game of football in slippy conditions. And the two teams put on a masterclass of football in wet conditions and the scoring was outrageous. And it was just so enjoyable. The crowd was, was buzzing and it was just a lovely atmosphere. It's, it, it gave me that bite that, you know, I want to go on and do more of this. And teams that you'd referee, like different counties that you go to referee games in, is there any supporters that are a little bit more... Like, can you hear it on the pitch? Like, I, I'm sure no, I've... Honest no. to God, you can't. You see, I, I can't because I have an earpiece <laughs> in one ear, right? It's it, My earpiece is the only... Well, there's a few of us have specially moulded earpieces from Specsavers that fit directly into our ear. No air can get around it so it won't fall out. And there's just background noise. I have one ear free. You only hear background noise. And, the, you know, like, I, I feel sorry for managers now on the sideline trying to get messages into players with no Merferna. Um, and I know that's their own issue and their own fault that, that that has happened. But you cannot get your message in. And if you look at the Jim Gavins or you look at the Mickey Hearts or, or Jane Horns, they're standing silent on the sideline. Their work is done pre-match now and, the, and at half time. Because in crowded stadiums, you cannot get your message in. So I just hear background noise when I'm on the field. Yeah, Taggy had said to me when he's playing corner forward in an All-Ireland final, he said he could literally scream at the top of his lungs as hard as he could <laughs> to the full forward and he will not hear him. And and I thought, no. it, so it is that it is that case. You literally, you don't hear any of this. You can just feel energy levels well, dropping and going up and down. You, you have to remember, you're in the centre of where everyone's voice is focused from four different angles. So all that noise is coming down towards pitch level. So you can't hear anything. And that's why even in, in, in big games, our whistles are, are peeless. They're specially designed for big uh, matchday stadiums. They have no pee inside them. They're a Fox 40. And even with the best, sharpest blow sometimes in, inside the co-park, people don't realise you've made a decision until you make some hand action to indicate there's a free or a penalty. They haven't a clue. And I, I, I was going to ask you, is there any teams that are particularly mouthy, but I don't think that's fair. You're not retired yet. And... Well, no, there never would be because I don't tolerate it. Uh, and I suppose the footballing side of the house is, is a little bit different to the hurling side of the house. Um, I don't mind saying that. The way I go about my business and the way David Coltrick goes about his business and Conor Lane were very respectful people. Um, you ask a question, you do it in a respectful manner, no different to the rugby, and you'll get a respectful answer. You step outside of that and you're going off the field because I don't tolerate that. 
Uh, so I, I wouldn't say there's any team that I have any difficulty refereeing. And when you go to matches yourself as a supporter, you're still obviously a me GEA fan, you've, your club games. Two, two sides questions here to you now. When you go to the game and be it your club or your county and decisions gone against you, do you ever shout in, ah, ref, come on. And two, does anyone beside you say, David, David, come on. Now, what do you think, Dave? Is this a free? Is it not a free? Is he making a mistake? What's it like at a game as a supporter? Yeah, number one, I end up watching the referee and what he's at more than the players, which <laughs> it kind of infuriates me a little bit. Um, I know I'd never shout in at a referee. I just know what it's like, so I wouldn't want to put anyone in that position. And, and particularly in the position that I'm in, um, I, people would think that I'm looking down on referees so no I, I know how difficult it is people often ask me when I go and watch matches in Croke Park you know what do they feel and say well look from my viewpoint I think he's got it right or from here maybe he's got it wrong but that's because like what we've said earlier on the worst thing for me is as a Mead fan I very rarely get to see Mead play we're not good enough to be on television anymore <laughs> but I'm usually travelling the country refereeing so I don't get to see the lads play and uh, I'll get you know, maybe some highlights or something or, or get a text message to let me know what the result is. And I hate that because I love going to watch me play football, but because of, of, of being so busy uh, and the league being the way it is, I'm always somewhere else when me are playing. No, this is true, I suppose. It's it's, it's the joys of uh, being at the level of refereeing you are, I suppose, with me yeah. in the championship they've been playing at the same times. Just on, on, on the COVID side of things, at the start of last year, when, when all of this broke and, and it was you, you were very very nervous in the beginning if you don't mind yeah. me saying um, you know and it was very well documented I, I actually I'll be honest I got very worried when I seen uh, I can't remember where I seen it or heard it but basically that David Goff was not going to be refereeing in this year's uh, championship and where I got worried was I started to think back on a selfish level for myself with my own club and I'm thinking if David Goff's not willing to do it at the highest level in the game is it safe for, for, for my lads to be playing at all and, and, and referees to be coming in and refereeing it? Like, can I ask you, what made you come to that decision and then what made you kind of back from it? Yeah, well, I made the decision based on personal circumstances. And I'm, I'm not only worried about myself, I'm worried about five uh, umpires on, on a team. I bring four out of the five with me on any given day. And I was, we didn't have the information or the data to prove that, you know, it was a safe environment to be refereeing in. And sometimes people forget, we are volunteers in the association. I am not paid to go out and referee. I go all the way over to Crow Park to referee in All-Ireland Final in 2019, which is five miles from my house. I get five euro back in mileage. That's it. I don't get any more. People forget that. I'm not doing it for any financial gain or glory or honour. That's all. I'm a volunteer inside the association. I didn't feel comfortable at the time with the lack of data, the lack of information. I was asked a genuine question by Marie Crow on 42FM. Was I fit or, or did I feel comfortable going out? And I said, no, not at the moment. Um, I'm not going to go back until I get a vaccine. Major headlines the next day, you know, you know, All-Ireland final referee not going to. And I was comfortable and I explained my decision to the GA and they were fine with it. They were completely fine with it. There was no issue. As the summer rolled on and as more information became um, available and as things um, more data showed uh, you know what was safe and what was not safe of course my opinion was going to change because now I have new knowledge that I didn't have before and it was very simple it was a I asked a journalist to ask the question of the deputy CMO about football and he said look the, the issue is there's no issue with matches they're not a zero risk environment but they're an extremely low risk environment 
And at that, I turned around and I said to Meath County Board, lads, I'll come back on my own with no umpires and referee underage games. And that's what I did. And I was quite happy to do that until they rang. They were a referee pulled from a game, a senior championship game on a Saturday evening. And they said, look, all our top guys are out. We need someone to come in and do it. Will you do it? I went to the umpires. I said, look, this is the protocol that they have in place. This is how we are supposed to do things. Are you happy to come back with me? And at that stage, because of the information, they said, yeah, we'll go back. So I ended up refereeing two games last year in the championship and maybe two league games. And it was fine. And did you, like, I, I know you kind of alluded to the atmosphere in Crow Park for the semi-final yeah. with nobody there, um, you know, and, and how different it was. But the protocols that were in place for you yourselves on arrival, the whole lot, how different would it have been to, like, a normal day at an All-Ireland semi-final from a referee's perspective? Um, would you, well, definitely um, getting to the stadium was much easier. That's the first thing. So traveling there, I mean, we didn't have to worry about traffic or being late. And I have been late to games. I've had the Garda escorts. It's extremely stressful. It's not a nice way to arrive into a stadium. Um, so that was that was fine. The, 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 um, the wearing of masks inside is uncomfortable. I have umpires who wear glasses uh, and that's to help their vision. It's not doesn't say anything about their umpiring skills. <laughs> Um, but for them, it's extremely difficult to wear a mask because Falling the glasses get stuff, fogged yeah. up. I mean, that's something I never would have thought about. Um, there was, you know, the, the hand gels, the sanitizing, um, you know, and you were worrying about, you know, handling someone else's pen because they had, you know, if you were signing a, a team sheet, you were wondering about, okay, they're handing me the team sheet. Am I allowed to handle it? There was all sorts of like stupid questions, but very pertinent ones because we didn't know actually how long the virus could live on different surfaces. And um, you were just overly conscious around that. And um, I wasn't overly comfortable shaking hands, player, players' hands or fist bumping. I had said to them, just, you know, go about your business, lad. I know there's respect, you know, we'll see each other again. And when it's safe to do so, we, 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 we can do what we, we can. And uh, once you removed all of that and got out onto the pitch, it was fine. It was absolutely fine. It was no different than anyone else, you know. And there was talk of, you know, keep the players two metres away from you when, you're, t- when they're, you're taking their name and talking to them. And it was all that sort of stuff. But it's outdoors. You know, it was outdoors. So you're just now looking at what's going on around the country and seeing people sit outside and eating. And, you know, we. Have, but again, we know way more now than we did last, oh, no, no, last of course. November. You know, so um, it was very different. Um, but I got used to it. The same as I, it was part of what we had to do. Yeah, no, no, a hundred percent. Just, just because I, you know, it'd be remiss of me not to discuss it with you uh, when I when I have you there. You know, about ten years ago, obviously the month that we're in is Pride Month now at the moment as well. And I, I think I'm right in saying it was around January or February ten years ago. You you came out yourself to your family and friends, um, you know, which I I, I still to this day I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I, I I think you you are the only kind of official gay referee in in in, in the GEA, um. That has come out. I, I, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I don't think I am. I think I am right in that, aren't I? You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, can can I just like I have to say, you know, in the in the world that I live in today and the world that we live in today, I think it's it's not like the world that I grew up in when I was, you know, when I was fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. I think people are far. Maybe it's easy for me to say, but I think people are far nicer. They are far more understanding, far more open. You know, it's it's a much better place. But when I when I was reading up on yourself, the the first thing that came to my head was, you know, you must have been you must have been terrified 
to, to, to actually come out, which is, I know it sounds like a sad thing to say to somebody, but it, it probably was the case, was it? It definitely in 2011, before I told my family, yes, I had spent four years coming to terms with it and trying to find who I was as a person. And I always say, you know, I had been layered as a, as a person by being involved with the Catholic Church, the primary school, secondary school system, my Catholic Irish family uh, and the GAA. And I fitted into a box in each one of those. And everybody had a vision of me and, and had a vision of who I was. And I ended up being everyone else's vision of what I was supposed to be instead of being who I was as a person. And when you strip back those layers and I spent four years trying to get rid of the shackles of those. And, and to think that at their very core, the Catholic Church, the education system, because I would have been teaching illegally in a primary school, um, the, the, my family who was traditionally Catholic, and um, the GA all had either a dislike for or a hatred, in, in, in the case of the Catholic Church, for um, people who were who are gay. So coming to terms with that, with all your supports that you once had, and you realize, Jesus, if I come out, how am I going to exist with all these supports? What's going to happen? Um, who am I going to rely on? And, and it's frightening to do that. And also it's frightening to look at yourself and wonder, well, who am I going to be? And am I going to like the person that I'm actually meant to be? And, and it takes time to come, to come on that journey. And it was terrifying. It was stressful. There was a lot of anxiety, a lot of heartache. Um, but by God, as soon as, as, as that Sunday evening finished in 2011, my life changed. The stress went. The anxiety went, the happiness came back, and my parents said, you're back to the person you were, you know, seven or eight years ago. They knew something was wrong, but they didn't know what. And um, it's just my life has completely changed as a result, positively. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you um, if, if it wasn't such a positive experience. And when, when because it's something I, I did wonder, like, a lot of these fears that, that, that you had at the time, you know, and I can only speak from... As I remember as a young lad growing up, different things that I might have felt I made a mistake or the old saying, oh, your parents are going to kill you, you know. Thankfully, none of us were ever killed by our parents. Or yeah. But the fears that you would have built up, the, the worries, you created these in, in your head, playing out the worst case scenarios of what will happen here. And over time, this must have become unbearable. And I just wonder, when you actually came out, did any of these fears actually materialise? Were these fears that you'd actually built up yourself that people wouldn't be accepting when they're far more accepting than you thought? Um, I, I can be honest and say only one. I lost one friend who didn't accept it. And, and I'm okay with that because if he wasn't okay with me, well, well, that's fine. But I mean, the volume of friends, support, community, um, positive things that I have, I have received since 2011 is incredible. I never thought I was ever going to receive the, the support, nothing negative. And I, I'm standing here now or sitting here now saying in, in, in 2021, it was probably the best decision I ever made in my life. And I would urge anyone that's struggling with their sexuality not to be afraid, not to go through the same stresses and anxieties, worrying about whether people will accept them or not. You will be accepted. Pick up the phone line, speak to the anonymous Headlines in belong to or, or LGBT Ireland or Tenny, whichever one you, you, you pertain to and have the chat with them and let them help you with your coming out story because it's it's only going to make your life better. And, and in the dressing room scenario, David, as well, like for yourself, because you were playing football with a club team at home and Mead at the time, you know, I, I remember reading about the Welsh rugby player and he said it was always his biggest fear was 
the reaction in that dressing room because you know yourself that the dressing room is not the place to be have any f- I don't know what the word I'm looking for is but you definitely don't want to be going into a dressing room tender because you could come out of it no. in two halves yeah and we, we spoke about that I met Gareth uh, in 2019 Gareth Thomas when we launched the, the Union Cup um, with the Emerald Warriors here in, in Ireland I missed actually Nigel Owens that weekend which was hugely disappointing but I spoke to Gareth about it and we both felt the same about the dressing room and what sort of an intimidating atmosphere that exists in there. You, you only have to look back, and I, I've said this before, at the rugby rate trial and the type of language that's used in WhatsApp groups. And if you're a young um, man, and I'm going to say specifically here men, because women don't have this. No. Women don't have this issue coming out in, in, in their dressing rooms. And I really think the GPA is going to learn a lot from the WGPA now that they're together. But the type of culture that exists inside the dressing room, and you've just said it, you would not want to be tender in there. So every time I'm in the dressing room and I hear a joke and it's a gay joke or the word faggot is used or queer in a derogatory term, and it's not funny, it's actually meant to insult. Well, like I've called it the pejorative use of of homophobic language. I really don't think the people who are saying it understand the negative impact it could have on their teammates who they might not know what their sexuality is. They might not be homophobic, you know, but they've learned to use language that is homophobic. And then it creates the culture then that where I feel, Jesus, I can't come out. And like my teammates in Slane were brilliant when I came out. They probably were too conscious of me after a, a couple of weeks. Then they got used to what they could say and what was acceptable and what banter was and, and you know, what was genuinely funny. But for years before that, I'm sitting there and every time you hear it, it chips away at your confidence and you say, how can I tell these guys I'm going to have to stop playing sport or if I want to be who, who I am because I can't exist in this type of environment. Yeah, it's 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 mad because like obviously I haven't I haven't had that experience in my life. But but I've kids and I've young kids and I and I you know, I constantly tell my kids I love you and you know, I constantly also tell them I'm going to kill them and all that other stuff happens too. It's yeah. not some big hippie happy family, but I always tell them, you know, like I'm proud of you. You go and do what you want to do and, and live your life and all that. But when I'm when I'm training the team that I'm involved with at the moment, I do listen to the language sometimes in in, in the dressing room, and I am subconsciously and I and I genuinely mean this. I am always conscious of the fact that I listen to the tone of what they're saying and stuff like that, and I'm thinking this mightn't be the right environment, you know. And and I do pull them up on it sometimes and say, listen, guys. I don't know if that's the type of language I want to hear in the dressing room or if that's the way we should be speaking to each other for the very reason that if I have a player that's going through what David Goff was going through 10 or 11 years ago I, I want them I want the family feeling in my dressing room I want my players to feel that at any stage whether it's wanting to come out or, or, or it could be anything at home in the house that's bothering them it could be anything that's happening in their own family life I want them to be able to feel safe to come to anybody in our dressing room and talk to them but your experience to me tells me that your fears again in the dressing room, it was positive, the outcome of, 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 of being brave enough to come forward and talk. Yeah, and I think that's all it needs to be is, is, is having the courage to take that step and giving these people the opportunity to support you because I think for the most part they will. They don't really care about your sexuality. They're your friends, they're your teammates. They want, they're there because they want to play football with you. you know. And, and, and once your sexuality doesn't come into play there, well, then there's no issue. How many young people, and I, I, I don't know how many times you know, I hear about a young man committing suicide in Ireland. And I, my first gut instinct always is, did he struggle with something? And it doesn't have to be sexuality, but because the environment wasn't right for him, he wasn't able to exist. I know so many people who have contacted me saying that their brothers, their sons, 
their partners have committed suicide, who were GAA players because they could not come out to their teammates. So the question is, what type of environment is there? Why do we, as the 10% of the population, not feel comfortable either coming out as openly gay or staying within sport, particularly team sports? Because what you find is most gay men will drop out of it because they can't exist as themselves in that team environment. Like, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a scary thing that, that, that you are bringing forward. Now, I have to say, David, and I don't mean this to, I'm not going to put you on a big pedestal and carry you through Kilkenny and we'll all cheer, but it was a brave thing for you to do. It's in a high-profile role. It shouldn't, I shouldn't be saying to you it's a brave thing to do. It wasn't a brave thing for me to go home and tell my parents I was getting married. You know, it's, it's it, this, it, society should have moved on from that, but it was a brave thing for you to do in a high-profile position that you are now. I think you're helping lots of people in that and I and I know that you've you've said this before and that you've known you, you know people have died by suicide as a result of fears of different things whether it's coming out about it or whether it's you know like the stigmas with lots of things in, 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 in Ireland the stigma is still around depression the stigma is still around people that you know feel they're inadequate in any way and, and it's mm-hmm. like what do how do we how do we stop that how do we you know how do we progress that how do we not have it in five years time that you and I are talking and we're reading well, about someone First of all, we're six years down the line from when I, when I, when I um, came out publicly. I had kind of the private, public, private coming out and the public pro- coming out. But we're six years down the line. Nobody else has taken the opportunity, right? Why? why and, and you're asking, how do we stop it? Well, you know, there's two ways. We, we stop it through visibility. That's why the like of Pride Month is so important. The like of this campaign I'm involved in with, with Super Value, the Bring It On, showing diversity and inclusion within the GAA. And they've committed to try to increase visibility by 30% by 2025 of people from diverse and inclusive backgrounds being involved in the GA. So we need that. We need visibility. We need openly gay men or gay men coming out open within elite sports so that young people can see, well, Jesus, if he can do it, I can do it. And, and, and there's no issue. There is also the other side, which nobody talks about. They talk about the 10% coming out and living their true life and being themselves. What about the 90%? What about the 90% of straight men that are playing elite sports? What type of environment have they created in the dressing room that stops me being from who I am? Where did they show their support as allies? And, and, and they're great. They just need to be given the opportunities, like Mayo and Tipperary wearing rainbow laces last year. It's no good David Goff wearing the rainbow laces. Everybody knows David Goff will wear rainbow laces. Seeing Aidan O'Shea and Killian O'Connor wearing rainbow laces, that's special to young people. And we see this week all around the Camogie Association and the LGFA teams coming out, putting on the rainbow laces, holding their pride flag as out lesbian women and straight women that play together, challenging another county to do the same. We have not seen one inter-county team, 64, 32 football, 32 hurling, doing anything to promote LGBT issues within their own GPA. There's the question that needs to be asked. Why not? What are they so afraid of? And why won't they show their support? Or why have they not been given the opportunities? Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you say it. I've I, I seen one GA club with the flag flying um, and I've seen it being put up on Joe.ie or something like that, that they had the actual, flag. the rainbow flag. That's it. But like, I don't know if, if, you're, if you're into the soccer at all, but last night at the Allianz Arena, they wanted to light up the arena in the rainbow flag. And basically... 
without getting into the whole politics of it, from what I can understand, it was the Hungarian government that basically said, no, you can't, or our players won't be playing on that pitch. Um, so, in fairness... Well, not, not, not really. What has happened is UEFA didn't allow it because the request came from the mayor of Munich who wanted to send a direct message to the Hungarian parliament who had just brought in anti-LGBT laws. I fell foul of this with Croke Park in 2015. I know exactly what it's like. I was calling for a yes vote in the marriage equality referendum. If you make that rainbow flag political, it cannot be involved in sport. UEFA have no problem and would have had no problem with the Allianz Arena being lit up in, in rainbow colours had it not been political. We see Manuel Neuer, the German goalkeeper, wearing the rainbow flag as his captain's armband because UEFA have told him he can do it because they don't see the flag as a political symbol. But when people politicise it, well, then UEFA's hands are tied, pretty similar to what Crow Park has, has done in the past. What we need to get to now in, inside in Crow Park and the GA grounds is a move to allow it more freely to be flown as an exemption in July or June, because we have these rules, like these ridiculous rules you're talking about, that the flagpoles of the GA can only fly a national flag, the colours of the team playing and the colours of the opposition. That's it. So we need to move outside of that. Yeah, no, it's it's so, so like I, my understanding on the on the, on that flag thing, and I can see I can see the point now that you've you've actually cleared that up for me with the the Allianz Arena. Now I do know the mayor of Munich. Uh, one of my mates had said it to me. He actually turned up the whole of Munich is is actually just one big giant flag now. I think exactly. He, he went to town and he, cause the, up, he went up went to town and put a lot of money into turning the whole city rainbow, not just the stadium. No, which is which is look, it's it's great and it's great to see the Germans. Um, you know because I I lived there for a period of time. I always found it the most open, accommodating people. Um, you know, it, it was a place I loved being there. I felt welcome all the time there and I think it's it's great for them. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with one more question and, 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 and you've taken up a lot of your time and I do appreciate your time there as well. And we'll let you get to that dog there. It's definitely excited to get to talk to you oh, anyway. It's no, <laughs> your grand there's no panic. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, just 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 with twenty twenty one, you know, if I was asking you you know, what would your biggest ambition be on the field this year? Like what's 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 your big ambitions in the season ahead? What do you want to get out of it? And then in life as well. Um, well, um, to get out of the season, um, I, I'm one one final away from uh, completing my set of, of medals. I, I have no Leinster final refereed, um, and that's not because Mead have been <laughs> raising the trophy the last number of years, but they have been uh, there or thereabouts. I'd like to get a Leinster final to complete my set of medals. Um, I'm always hesitant to say about refereeing a second All-Ireland. I have mixed feelings about um, referees refereeing four or five All-Ireland finals. Um, there's plenty of us there, like the FA Cup, should it be shared around. A lot of my colleagues that I work with on the refereeing committee are fantastic referees, and I'd love to see them get the opportunity. The problem is, if it's offered to you, do you turn it down? <laughs> you don't no. turn down all Ireland <laughs> finals. So um, that's that's why I'm a little bit mixed with that. Um, personally, um, I'd like to see the GA continue to advance uh, LGBT issues. They are doing a fantastic job. Um, and to see them back up Super Value as one of the largest sponsors of the championship and, and, and coming in and saying, well, we want the campaign this year not to be about community or, or, or things that, that we want diversity and inclusion for the first time ever. I mean, in, in, in for 137 years of the GA, they did nothing to advance LGBT issues. And now they've just the last 24 months, the door has opened and the whole thing has flooded through. And it's, it's absolutely fantastic. I'd love to see that just advance a little bit more and and, and, and hopefully at some stage, see another Irish elite male sports star. Doesn't have to be GAA, anything. Soccer, rugby, athletics, hockey, swimming, boxing, whatever it is. 
coming out and, 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 and showing the young people of the country that it is okay to be gay and exist happily in, in, in sport. David, on that note, um, I will thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, I really, and I really do mean that. If you do get the referee at Leinster final this year, and my beloved Westmead are in it, if you could at all, go a little bit easy on them there. Uh, but, but no, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, and I do really appreciate yeah. your time. Uh, thanks for having me on. That's brilliant. That was, of course, David Goff, a GEA referee, a Mead native, uh, talking to me this week on The Clash Act, and I look forward to speaking with you all again next week. Hello, Martin here from Morrissey Motors Peugeot Kilkenny. We have the full range of environmentally friendly award-winning vehicles in petrol, diesel, hybrid and electric. Our 208, 3008 and 508 have all won Car of the Year. Our 5008 seven-seater has won SUV of the Year. And not forgetting Ireland's best-selling commercial, the award-winning Partner Van. That's five in a row, Martin. It is, Brian. That's impressive. Contact the lads in Morrissey Motors, Waterford Old Kilkenny today.